Mount in the middle. And what a finish that is. Mason Mounts. That is extraordinary from Fikayo Tomori. Loses Callum Hudson. And oh, there it is. His first goal. For Chelsea, the teenager. A moment he will remember. Chelsea get battered even at home. Chelsea get battered even at home. Even at home. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Chelsea Spot Podcast. Um, we're recording straight after the 2-1 loss against Southampton. It's been like half an hour, but, you know, there's still, I think there's a, a lot to talk about this one. Um, but yeah, I'm delighted to be joined by Siren. It's been a, I think it's been a bit of a while since you were on, but it's, it's nice to have you back, mate. It's been two weeks. Hi. Uh, thank you for having me again. No worries. How are you feeling after that? Uh, I'm honestly not as um, angry as everyone else is. I feel like that was expected from my end, at least, based on what we already knew. So I'm a lot more composed and a lot more collected about what I think about the game and about the performances. So we shall see, I guess. (laughs) Exactly. I think, which maybe some of you could argue is a bit worrying that we're expecting this, but... I mean, it's sort of the situation we were in. We're sort of five games into the season. We've sort of not performed against Everton and got a win. But I think first game season, you take that. We've then drawn against Spurs when, yeah, we should have won. But in the end, we didn't. Um, Leeds, we got humiliated. Leicester, we went down to 10 men and, OK, did really well um, to get the win. And today we got pretty smacked as well after despite going one up. So there is a lot to talk about, a lot to worry about in that sense. And not a lot to expect um but we yeah i guess we just go straight into it um and i think the starting point we're going to talk about the game first and then a lot of other stuff later but there's a lot to talk about the game and the starting point i guess is the lineup um unfortunately it's sort of what in sort of i don't i don't actually can't blame too too much on the lineup um we we stuck with the 4-4-2 formation which he tried against leicester um and it worked before we went against 10 men in that game. And similarly, in this game, it worked wonderfully until we were, you know, until we scored. Um, but, yeah, I think the only thing we can really talk about is Hakim Ziyech starting. I mean, I don't know about you, but I don't know what he's doing in this lineup. Yeah, it's, it was after the... Uh, Leicester game that he flew to Amsterdam to complete his Ajax signing, which apparently has fallen apart. It's just not a good look. If at, at that point you'd rather be playing Pulisic, no matter how bad Pulisic was today, and I'm sure we get to that at a, some point later on in this episode. But it's just interesting that he went with that decision. Um, I was actually interested to see what Zia could do with Sterling because Zia hasn't played with um, off-ball runners since Werner really, and that worked well for like three games. Uh, two seasons ago or yeah uh, so it was interesting I wanted to see how that would look like but it's still not just just not a good look I think like you mentioned as far as the line goes that was the only contentious point everything else made sense under the kind of circumstances we were in yeah I agree I think maybe the only other thing could have been um, Armando coming in for Kai but I think what well, Kai had a decent game against Leicester and he was he's you know he's the trusted man under Tuchel so um, we even could have seen, as we were we were discussing before the poll, we could have seen Broyer instead of Ziyech, which would have made a lot of sense, actually. We still, we are playing this two-man formation striker thingy, and instead of putting Sterling in this sort of areas where, yes, he may get a goal and the assist, but he's not going to affect the game as much, want to put him on the right-hand side and chuck Kai and Broyer up top and see what they can do. Um, so, yeah, I, I wouldn't have started Ziyech, I think, a lot of people. And, yeah, I know that, OK, the, the move has probably collapsed. It's still... He still very much does want to leave the club. He still, I can very much tell you, has fallen out with Tuchel in the sense of game time and sort of the way they're playing and everything, which makes sense. You know, the system doesn't, or the system we have been playing pretty much the last two seasons doesn't fit, um, doesn't fit sort of ZX. So, you know, I'm not surprised that he wants to leave in that sense um, and things haven't worked out in the blue shirt for him. But the fact that he's still starting over, even, as you said, who had a bad game, Pulisic, who has been pretty much being forced to stay because we want to let go of Hudson Adoy and Ziek. Um, putting him over, okay, it's never going to happen. But like a Harvey Vell, for example, who you're trying to convince to sign a contract, obviously he's not going to start this game. But it just sort of shows the stage we're at. Um, 
but yeah, lineup wise, like I said, can't complain too much with Reese injured, Trev injured, Connor suspended. <laughs> There's like we didn't have many options. Um and we can't complain about lineup as well too much because I think we started off the game really well. We had really good chances. Sterling had a two v one which he mucked up. Um I think Kai may have had a chance and in the end it was a really nice ball from Kai to Mason who put it across really well and eventually it fell to Sterling who just put it in the back of the net. Um but yeah, what what did you think of the, like the first? I think it was it was roughly twenty five minutes. Yeah, I think it was thirty minutes where we actually looked pretty good. Um, like you mentioned, it was the same formation from the Leicester game, and I think at the end of the day, it it depends on how much credit you want to give to Tuchel because I mentioned this before. It's that we sort of look good in the attacking phases when we play against teams that give us space. So even against Leeds. Um, just interesting that I'm going to the Leeds game at this point, but even against Leeds, before they before we conceded, we looked good because it was easy to play through their midfield just because of how uh, aggressive they are with their press. And it's the same sort of situation today. Uh, <clears throat> a lot of players looked good in that first 30 minutes. No, noticeably, I'd say, uh, was Mace and Raz that looked the best. Um, missed a bunch of chances, and then we lost control of the game. Uh, and I believe that falls down to our midfield, which I'm sure, again, we're going to talk about soon. But as soon as that happened, there was no coming back from there, no matter what changes he made. Um, it's just having, I don't want to name drop, but having Jorginho there, uh, aided by Ruben and Mace, just wasn't doing anything for us. Um, sorry, it's just, it's just a lot <laughs> talking about our midfield. Yeah, I mean, it looks like we, we generally have been talking about this midfield issue for a good three and a half, four seasons now. And we just haven't gone anywhere. And the issues are very much still there. And I think, I mean, Tuchel in his post-match conference has just said um, it's too easy to bully us. And when you're putting, you know, well, first of all, Havertz has come out in an interview about a month ago saying he doesn't, really like getting into players who'd rather just run past them or glide past them. You're then playing Jorginho in midfield, who is literally a standing cone when defending. And, you know, it's like five foot eight and it's a slim boy. Of course, it's going to be easy to bully. You're playing a four-back formation when the midfield's leaving you vulnerable at the back. Um, and, you know, we had as we had Aspi instead of Reese. Of course, it's going to be too easy to bully you. Um, and, okay, Tukumain and not have had two too many options today um like instead of playing Jorginho there's not much he really could have done um but he carries on to play Jorginho in other games when he doesn't need to and we get bullied in those games as well so it's starting to get a bit obvious um at least to most of us but but as you said we went on a lap and then straight afterwards just completely lost I think the first well the first goal was just horrendous from Aspilicueta I I mean um in general we've talked about we don't really know why he's still at this club and he's going to make mistakes like this and he's going to get game time, as you can see, because he has signed that extension. Um, but, but I mean, he, if, I mean, I'm just thinking, imagine if it was Reese instead of Asby, he would have just calmly played that back to Mendy for some reason. Asby's just giving it out for a corner and then the clearance was really poor as well, straight to them. Um, and, yeah, and I, I think Mendy could have done better as well. And I think it's a good talking point about Mendy. That, yeah, um, I think that's very important there that yeah. Mendy was absolutely, his hands were soft in that manner. It was almost like watching Kepa and Cole, which is very concerning. I've sort of been in the, um, in the opinion that we should probably let Mendy just do his own thing because this is probably just one small phase and he could probably get out of it himself. But it's just concerning because this happened week after week. And now he's conceding goals, which honestly he should not even be concerned with. Um, it was it got to a point, I think, uh, public opinion around the time where he made that mistake against Leeds, where it felt like he might be the difference maker in if we can get top four or not, because obviously there are issues in other parts of the squad. But with a squad that's already made top four, if a goalkeeper isn't performing up to the standard, then he might be the difference. But now it seems like we're back to 
uh, that might be a reality in the sense that he might be holding us up, up back among other things. But it's just very concerning to see why there's been a regression there. I honestly can't figure it out. Neither. And the problem is, like, if if your second keeper is a really good keeper, I'm all for dropping Mendy for one or two games and giving just letting Mendy know that there is competition there, sort of just reminding him. But I'm so confident if you gave Kepa 10 games in a row, he's making the same mistakes, if not more. Maybe not with his feet, for example, but he's letting shots in, just like the first one today, where he shouldn't be. Um, so... In that sense, yeah, there's a lack of competition in goalie, to be honest. Um, and I don't know, I don't know what Tuka's planning to do. I mean, I feel like a lot of the goalkeeping choices is actually up to the goalkeeping coaches. They have a lot of influence over who starts in goal, and it's clear to see that. I mean, Mendy is number one goalie, and I, I think it's fair to say that he hasn't hit anywhere near the form he hit in the first six months in our Champions League victory, but. I still don't think he's the biggest problem in our, well, one of the biggest problems in our team, um, despite the mistakes or the shots he should be saving in the last few weeks. Um, so, yeah, I think in that sense, one nil down, I'm sorry, well, it went 1-1 um, and we could have done better, but you sort of knew when we went 1-1, the second one was coming and after that we weren't really going to get back in the game, but the second one didn't come just before our time, the worst time to score. Um Mount sort of lost the ball in the counter-attack. For some reason, he's getting the blame for this goal. I mean, the amount of times you have seen... I mean, it, it, it was like a misunderstanding. I mean, Kai just Kai went um, down the line and running in behind when Mason thought he was going to cut inside. I mean, it's, it's really that simple. And it happens like actually 100 times a season and you don't realise because it shouldn't lead into a goal when it's a, there were literally two players up on the pitch. Um, but like, for some reason, he's getting slammed for that, whatever. But then I think... I think you want to you you definitely want to mention the midfield defending for that second goal because my word it was abysmal. Yeah, I at the end of the day, the one thing that you want your midfielders to be able to do, uh, if not, sort of aiding the attack is being able to protect the defense, and that's the biggest thing, it's the biggest takeaway from this game. Um, we're currently in talks to sign another centre back. Obviously, we're we've already pretty much signed Fofana and there's not much new signing new center backs are going to do for you, for your defense as a whole, if your midfield is frail and weak, like what it was today. So, like, Mount lost the ball in midfield, ball went to Armstrong, he plays it to the wing, I forget who, who it was, cutback comes inside and Armstrong gets in, is in acres of space, clearly, because the forward line is busy, uh, well, the defense is being dealing with the forward line and Armstrong steps into the space between the defense and the midfield and he easily has so much space to pick out wherever he wants in the goal. The issue here is Armstrong, when he was on the ball, easily passes by Jorginho. Ruben is a little bit further away, so he's not able to do much. He then progresses way past into the go uh, into the box, passes into the wings, and then again just is in the box without any contention. There's no sort of protection there from Jorginho, or, or even Ruben has a little bit of blame. A bit to blame in this goal, but I'd say for the most part, Jorginho, who was jogging behind Armstrong after he passed him, is pointing at his defenders to come and sort of clear that issue for him, and it's his own fault. Like as a defensive midfielder, your first thing is protecting the back line, and he is not a not only is he not able to do that, but he's been a hindrance to this entire defense, which is just abysmal. How are we talking about this again and again and again? It's been Four years since we first saw the cracks in the wall, 2018 under Sari, and we're still talking about this. It's also insane that we let him win third place for Ballon d'Or literally a year ago, <laughs> and somehow this game he was honestly abysmal. Like I've given him benefit of the doubt in so many situations because he's been great for us in a lot of games. He was, he has been a, a beneficial part of the squad no matter what anybody says, but. He couldn't string two passes together. He couldn't protect the back line. And most importantly, I think he was the main reason we concede that second goal. If he is able to just take the spot where he's naturally supposed to be in that attack, he could probably not afford Armstrong as much time and space on the ball. And it's just incredible how we've got here, how we're still here. And 
it just highlights the need for a midfielder. But we're not signing a midfielder until next summer, are we? Well, I mean, if you've listened to Tuchel over the last month, then you'd think absolutely not, because he seems buzzing with our midfield options. Um, but I think we'll come on to that a bit later in terms of sort of midfield. But as you said, I mean, they were absolutely the main fault for the second goal, and we are still talking about it. Um, but but yeah, I think the second half, I don't, I don't really remember anything which happened we sort of didn't do much they didn't do much they were just playing out the 2-1 win and they got it um and we made um we made yeah four subs um none of them really had that much of an impact um I'm under Broy I think after he came on in the first minute I thought oh my god he's going to change the game there he ran past the defender skilled up a few probably could have played it inside a bit earlier but it didn't and he still put a decent cross in um um, I thought he was going to change the game, but again, he didn't really get the ball really the rest of the game. Um, Kovacic, he sort of had a Kovacic game, like it was decent. He could have done more, but again, it's he's just coming back from an injury. I can't really blame him too much. Chile didn't really impact the game as he would have liked, um, but again, can't complain of him too much. Pulisic, he got chucked in right wing back, so there is a bit of sympathy towards him in that sense, because uh, I know we're always complaining about oh, Hudson and is being played out of position, Mount's being played out of position, so we definitely should recognise that Pulisic was as well. Um, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't be doing the basics of football and he, he wasn't he could he was just falling over the ball uh, he does it quite a lot where he just dribbles and falls and it, it happened a bit too much he wasn't really I think I remember one time he won the ball back well when he did um, so he didn't have the impact and I think what a lot of people are annoyed with is after the game he was the only one who didn't really go and clap the fans um, he just walked straight down the tunnel which is very weird I think I don't know, it's not something I'd expect from him. Um, so in that sense, who knows what's going on? Um, but yeah, I don't know. What do you what do you think about the the subs, the in-game management? But also I think we should mention the lack of the fifth sub. Yeah, it's very interesting because you're it's the 89th minute. You know there's gonna be five minutes of stoppage time. Um, and you need a spark off the bench. You have an extra sub, you might as well throw on a chuck. Or you might throw a Billy or a Harvey and see what, because at the end of the day, you're stuck with uh, a disgruntled Ziek, a disgruntled Pulisic who are playing. I will get to the four subs, but it's just interesting why he wouldn't use that fifth sub to, I mean, at that point, you have nothing to lose. The most you can get out of that is a draw. So you might as well take a punt at one of your younger guys and see what's going on. But of course, he has to be stubborn. Um, the four subs, on the other hand, uh, we're all not very good um i mean it's a little bit harsh to say that about kovacic i feel like he was he was okay he, he did what he could under the circumstances Chilwell as well not not too bad Pulisic, um as much as you can afford sympathy for him the only bit of sympathy he's going to get from me is the fact that he didn't want to be there we've seen hudson Adoy perform well as a wing back and we know his preferred position is a winger so it's not um and I, in my opinion, anyways, I don't know what you think, but I feel like if you're a wing player playing as a wing back on the other flank should be a more easier job in the sense that there's not as much responsibility. Uh, defending, yes, but your passing angles are limited um, and you just have to find penetration through that one side. And he wasn't able to do that. He kept running into players. I, I'm actually tempted to look up his uh, dribbling stats just to prove that point but I feel like if you watch that game it's, it's evident uh, and then there's Breuer who was probably the best of the four substitutes um, it was concerning that Breuer came on for Havertz he, did he come on for Havertz? yeah he yeah, came he on for Havertz uh, and he in the short periods of time he had the ball he was able to sort of inject life and do more than Havertz has done this season which is which is curious. I mean, what do you think about that, Breuer and Havertz? I think it's interesting. I mean, Breuer, ha sorry, Havertz has had five games, has got zero goals and zero assists. If you gave Breuer five games, would he really get zero goals and zero assists? I don't know. And then you look at other than goals and assists, really Kai only offers a lot of good pressing and other than what I really saw in the Leicester game he doesn't really offer anything in terms of hold up play or anything like that um, 
Broyer does the pressing. I think I'd back him to get a goal in five games. And I think he's an, he would be an absolute nuisance for some defenders in the Premier League um, due to his height, his pace, his strength. And I say that as someone who wasn't like wasn't overhyping Breuer last season. I'm, I was very aware that, okay, he, he, he in the end, he had a good loan at Southampton, but you could very much see that there was a lot of work to do. But I've got no doubt he can still influence the squad massively. Um, and he seems to get, I, I mean, he seems to get along really well with Sterling, actually. If you look in all the clips and pictures and everything, they, they seem to get on really well. And I don't know, I'd love to see that on the pitch, to be honest. Um, but I because... think... Yeah, like it's interesting because if you're playing Ziyech, uh, and a lot of times today, I don't know if you've noticed that, but there were a lot of times where Sterling would drift onto the right side. He would be would sort of get there to progress the ball, and Ziyech would find himself in the center. Uh, this is, happens a lot under Tuchel. I don't know why you find Ziyech as your uh, false nine almost, which is interesting. And for me, it's like if you're doing that. Uh, there were a lot of times where they try to find Ziyech with the ball over the top as well. You might as well start Broya. You might as well like drop Havertz and start Broya. And at this point, there is no real legible argument for why Havertz should keep starting. It's I, I I'm I'm sort of gonna repeat over what I said when the last time I was here when the Spurs game is just that he's not just not doing anything. If he was invisible, it would be better for us. Um Mace was invisible after the first 30 minutes, and it was fine because at the end of the day, he's not contributing, but he's not like hindering the steam. Havertz is a net negative. We're not just playing with 10 men when he's on the field. We're playing with nine men because he's playing for the other team. And it's this game after game after game, yet he keeps being afforded the time and patience because he does what? Off-ball work? It's hypocritical at best. And we've you see on the other side of the spectrum, Hudson Odoi, who, in my opinion, and in the opinion of most people, has contributed more than Havertz has in the minutes that they've played is not being afforded any patience and it just it's just why is Havertz being afforded that patience why can't we have Broya starting those why taking those minutes away because from the uh 30 or so minutes that we saw Broya today it really begged the question why is Broya not starting I completely agree and I think I think the last I'm just trying to play devil's advocate. I think until now, Broya's fitness has been up and down, so I'm going to give Tuchel the benefit of the doubt. I think West Ham is pretty much like sort of... West Ham will, will show us where Broya is in Tuchel's mind because after those five games, I'm sure Broya's now fit. He's got 30 minutes today or whatever. He is absolutely fit enough to start a striker and he absolutely should be. And if the reason... If Havertz starts, then you start to think about why on earth is he starting? Because his price tag is it? I mean, well, because he's becoming what he's become a trusted player under Tuchel in the last season or two. But I don't really think that should have an influence when you haven't had a great start of the season. And I say, I say that as someone who would happily drop Mason, for example, if I felt there was someone who could come in and have a good influence. I don't think there is anyone in that who can actually really realistically you know, provide us what Mason does normally. I get the first five games, he's only really had one good game in total, and that was against Spurs. Um, but, like, you have Broyer, so you can easily replace him with Kai. If you replace Mason, you're probably, who, replace him with Pulisic? I mean, you can start Pulisic for a game, but again, he's probably not going to have that much of an influence. Um, so in that sense, it's it's really difficult, and we'll get on to West Ham all the way at the end of this podcast, but... You did, you did mention Hudson Adoy, um, so we should get on to the other stuff. I think that's enough on Southampton itself. Um, but Hudson Adoy, he has finally left. He's on loan. It's a season too late. You, for some reason, the loan to Dortmund was rejected last season. He's got his loan to buy a Leverkusen. Um, interestingly, there is an option to buy and... Sorry, option to buy? Sorry, there is no option to buy. There's a recall option in January and I think the very much... Think, well, I can f- definitely reveal that Tuchel will be sorry. Hudson Odoi will be leaving if tu- next summer if Tuchel is still at the club, or he will definitely ask to leave the club. Todd was advised by whoever um, that he has to keep Callum, and Callum only is going to stay if Tuchel isn't here. 
I can like 99.9% guarantee that obviously things in football change or whatever but in that sense I don't think Callum is getting another shot in a Chelsea shirt if Tuchel stays which makes the option to recall really really interesting because either that's a compromise for not signing extension which was a massive hold up in this deal which eventually Chelsea let him go away with it or it's if Tuchel is gone by January and we need a winger, we want you back um, and trying under a new manager. So in that sense, I think it's something to keep an eye on. I do think Bowley still really likes Tuchel and has his full trust, but we'll get onto that as well later. But Hudson Odoi in the Bundesliga, general thoughts on the loan, and sort of I'm just so excited to see him playing football every week, to be honest. Yeah, so am I. I uh... Someone tweeted this out. I'm not sure who it was. I'm sure they probably comment under the podcast uh, when we tweet it out. Uh, but someone commented, uh, tweeted out saying uh, Hudson Odoi will now play with better wing options, a better striker, and a better attacking midfielder at Bayer Leverkusen than he would have at Chelsea. Just makes me laugh. I think he's gonna thrive. I think. I mean, it's it was pretty obvious that um, if he went to a system that sort of benefited him, and I don't know much about Bayer Leverkusen, but it's just that in the Bundesliga, it's a great place for young talents to prosper um he was going to do well uh he has a lot of stuff to work on personally i think that's pretty obvious but at the same point he was not helped um i think i'm very excited to see what he can do uh i would love for him to come back i would love for him to come back more than anything but but i would i would like completely understand if he if by january tuchel was still here he just said yeah i'm not doing this anymore um it's unfortunate by that we've gotten here but yeah, I, I guess we'll get to talk about Tusha later. <laughs> yeah, I think I think the bigger thing that kind of is, as you said, there is a, still a lot to develop, and I think the Bundesliga is perfect place for that. Um, he can still try and get those numbers up, which we all know is a massive thing he needs to work on. And yeah, he can still run in behind. He can still be that nuisance in dribbling and things like that. Um, so in that sense, I'm, I'm, yeah, like I said before, I'm really looking forward to finally seeing him play like on a regular basis. It feels like it's been absolutely ages. Um, so yeah, hopefully, hopefully, um, things will work out for him. And who knows, next summer maybe he gets that chance in Chelsea, and he's, you know, he's back playing for us. Um, but but yeah, I think some other transfer news. Gavardio, I think it's a really interesting talk here actually because it came out just before the game I think it was just before the lineup got announced um that Chelsea have this is by Fabrizio Romano by the way Chelsea sort of not bid but sort of bid basically just said we're happy to play 90 million euros for your center back if he comes in for us next summer and I suspect is it RB Leipzig I think it's RB Leipzig they will be accepting that very very quickly i saw the guardian as well after the game also said we made in a 77 million pound um bid as well that has that i saw i think it's very much all backed up it seems to be honest it's a deal i could absolutely have seen happening however it does sort of i mean it's confusing we spent 90 million on Cavadio, 80 million on fafana um you have levi colwell out on loan who we literally begged to try and stay and only and to go without an option to buy. Um, and also, we we have forced Trev to stay this window, who, by the way, I mean, if I can say a little bit on the story and the fact that, it, I mean, you all know he was all set to leave. He was probably going to join one of the Italian clubs. Um, and there was a meeting the the night before they started the less he started the Leicester game where Bowley pretty much took control of the whole situation said we are gonna force you to stay pretty much and that's pretty much as it was and he's seen as you know someone who can get minutes this season and in the future I'm pretty sure the Gavardio signing will completely mock that up and before the Gavardio signing um I was told by Trev's camp to be honest that they weren't too happy with the situation but he'll absolutely take it because he's playing it for his boyhood club this season as long as he gets the game time but they they weren't too happy that he got forced to stay when Azpilicueta got given a two-year contract and sort of Reese is seen as a right centre-back option Fafana is seen as a right centre-back option if you play in a mid if you play a back four he's got Fafana, Koulibaly and Silva all ahead um but yeah 
Gavardio. Thoughts. <clears throat> Lots of them. Um, I think to start off, I don't know much about him as a player. I just want to like, call that, like, declare that because he might be yeah. amazing. Uh, I've I, heard I don't think many. I don't think many do on the timeline yeah. when people. Are, I think I've I've heard he's very good from people, but I don't know. Carry on. That's what I've heard too. Yeah. Um. I think the most important thing is precedent. Uh. We have more glaring needs in the in our squad that we need to deal with, especially the midfield one is what we talked about so many times right now. Um. Attacking options are now something not now, but something that we have to look at at some point as well. I'm, which I'm pretty sure we'll talk about targets there in the, like in like a bit but it just sets a, a bad precedent when we're spending 90 million on a center back who um who i'd like to describe as a luxury signing you have fafana coming in kulibali uh tiago silva sure he could be the tiago silva replacement but fafana kulibali and then you have one of the best center back prospects and levi Colwell at brighton unknown who you promise game time um that's sort of how you sent him out unknown and he's going to come back and if, obviously he might not come back as a player who thought he was but there's a high chance that he comes back and he is claiming a stake to his spot in the squad and it just it sets an incredible incredibly awful look when you're spending 90 million pounds on a signing who let's be honest you're signing for depth you're not signing for you're not signing to replace i guess they're the devil like playing devil's advocate the the argument for the signing is if you if you think that he helps you in the near future uh in not even the near future in the future like if you you make that signing no matter how much money it is and also like tiago silva replacement but at the end of the day why prioritize signing Vardio when you can sign when you can use that money to spend on a uh, a Declan Rice, maybe, or a Rafael Leo, anything. Um, of course, there's no indication that just because we're spending that money on him, we're not going to be spending that money on anybody else, but it's still a spot in the squad. It's still 90 million euros out of Chelsea's bank account, um, Boy's bank account, sure. It's still all of those things, and it just doesn't make sense. I would be for the signing if we needed a center back if we weren't signing for fana if we if there were other circumstances like i'm not opposed to signing him as a player himself but it's just no matter how many that's another point no matter how many center back reinforcements you bring in your defense is only as good as your midfielders and a man who is as tactically aware as tuchel is or sorry in double quote tactically aware um he should be able to realize that a midfielder is of a bigger priority unless this is not a two shell signing unless this is like a neil bath recommendation which is also entirely in the realm of possibility but it's just interesting that we would be doing this when there are other places of need there's it's also a gross overpay and it's just when you bring all of that together it's just not a signing that you would make You'd also have to think, but do you think you think if got Variol is in the squad or is in the team today, you think he changes anything? I don't know. I think it's a it's a really good point to make, and it sort of links it to the point of that we need a director of football quite badly. Um, if you look at sort of the the t- the targets we're at, the you know the Bamiyangs. Frankie De Jong, yeah, he's a great player. Is he the midfield profile we need? Cavalio, yeah, he's a great player. When you've got Levi Colwell out on loan, when you've got Mark Gerhi, you could potentially convince to get back for around 45 million. Do you, when you've bought Fafana, when you've got Chalaber, when you've got Reese, when you've got Koulibaly, when you've probably got Silva, who could probably do another few months next season, is there really a need to spend 90 million on another centre back? So, when you look at isolated situations, sure, De Jong is a great signing. Sure, Gavardio was a great signing. But, I mean, yeah, I don't know. And that's even thinking about the future. As you said, if you look at today, if you bring in Aubameyang, is he going to sort out today's problems? Absolutely not. 
if you who else have we been linked in to comment? Zaha, I don't think I think it'd be he would have played all right today, similar to Sterling. I mean Sterling's a top player, didn't have an influence on in the game. Zaha's a top player, wouldn't have had an influence on the game. Um Anthony Gordon, I mean, I have just come it's just come out Lampard. I said the deadline to sign him has passed. Um I really don't think we'll be getting him now, which is a good thing to be honest, as much as I like Golden as a player. Um that's not happening. So um so yeah, I think in that sense we're I, I, sorry. I've, it's completely off topic, but I've just a, a, a quote from Jose Mourinho has just come up on my screen. Um, I was just refreshing to it, and it's just got me laughing. You all would have seen what he said about Tammy last game, and uh, this game he just said tonight he was my Tammy. He won everything. He held the ball up. He provided an outlet in behind. We always talk about strikers when they score, and obviously tonight was Paolo's night, but Tammy was amazing. Um, so I think that is a very Mourinho. And sorry, that's completely off topic. Maybe not too off topic, as I think he would be. A really helpful option for us right now um up top um but yes i don't know i think director of football is very much needed let's talk a bit about tuchel's future because i don't think i think at the moment he's fine i think Bowley likes him but you have a problem in the fact that we are backing him with so much money and he's letting go of youth on the way and you've got a You've got to get results, don't you? It's that simple. Yeah, it is that simple. He's been, uh, what's been defined uh, by some parties as an almost unlimited budget. Um, for the back, for that, he's his results have been very lackluster. He's his, um, funnily enough, the Chelsea Sport Twitter tweeted this out. So you know, uh, cheeky little plug. But his win percentage in the Premier League is 54% now, which is worse than Lampard and Sarri. He, his record over the past, uh, I don't know how many games actually, but it's, it's, it's worse than when we sacked Lampard. And I honestly think that should be enough. I'll be honest, uh, this was the last straw for me. I think I'm completely, I, like, I've, I've been drained of whatever patience I had for him because this most of this loss was on him. Um, that said, I will... Say I was thinking about this right before the podcast. Um, it was very obvious to me, like that I was completely done. But I was also trying to think about what possible, like, not excuses, but um, sort of leeway we could give to him for this past few games, the results. And there are some, like if you're playing devil's advocate, there are a few points that Kante was injured, and Kante is like an extremely big part of the squad. Uh, when Kante went out. Obviously, that's awful. And he's also inheriting a squad that came right after the whole Marina and Bruce Buck era, which filled with players that, frankly, nobody in the top half of the Premier League should be having, which is, it's unfortunate. So there are all of these cases where you could make cases, which I, well, everyone has been making this case at least at some point, but now it just feels like the cons outweigh the pros or sort of the, the results outweigh the excuses to better frame it. And I don't know, at the end of the day, when you have a collective that's just completely performing not to standard, not, not performing to standard, and then you ha- also have disgruntled individuals, so many of them among the squad, and I'm sure you'll talk about that there have been sort of rumbling in the dressing room as well. It's, it's just like, what more, how much more time does he actually need to implement because he was given he was sort of given the power to sign whoever he wants but he said i trust you and i will back whoever you want and there's no excuse for this because at the end of the day he would like if if we're being real with honest with ourselves he should have realized long ago that a midfielder is a priority yet he continues to put uh, priorities on center backs defenders again and again and again and i just don't know what what we're doing here with Tuchel. it's it's like i gave him a lot of benefit of the doubt after leads uh i tweeted a lot about that thread saying like where i didn't blame him for the result not as much as other people were and it's just but this result is completely on him because at the end of the day he chose the squad and if you're looking at the broad scheme of things there's no way you have the run that we have the results that we have the the players um, all being unhappy, the signings that we've made, and just think that this is not on him because a lot of this 
is on him. And I wouldn't be opposed to him leaving tomorrow even. Who do you bring in? I think the cop-out answer is Graham Potter. Um, I mentioned Lewis Enrique to a couple of people and they sort of threw slanderous shouts at me. So I might not mention that, but Graham Potter (laughs) is the... the, uh, I would say um, we should bring in um, Scott Parker as well. (laughs) Yeah, go Scott. (laughs) Uh, Sean Dyke. Like unironically sure, speaking, why why would we not like like take a risk with that? Honestly, just get him playing football. Maybe we'll get Havertz in the right mind or something up top. Um, get like Chris that. Wood up. Get Chris Wood up top time. Um, yeah, I yeah I think we all, we all would love if Graham Potter came in charge, but to be honest, I can't see him leaving Brighton at this stage of the season. Um, and I to be honest, I don't see Tuchel going too much to you know too soon, but. You never know. I mean, it will be really interesting. I think if you have Abramovich in charge right now, Tuchel is in big trouble. And he has one or two games to save it. Um, because, really, I mean, we, we've said it. His Premier League record is really, really poor. Um, but we don't know how he's going to be under Bowley. Is he going to get annoyed? Is he going to... I don't know. It, it, we, it, this is the problem. We, this is the first time under a new owner. It's a new sort of era for the club, and we do not know how the act, how the owner is going to act um, towards a few losses. I mean, we also. I mean, I think a lot of people can back the point that Scott Parker's sacking at Bournemouth um, is a bit ridiculous. When they was it was he at Bournemouth? Yeah. Yeah, Bournemouth. Yeah, it was. Sorry, I thought of Fulham for a second, but no, he is at Bournemouth. Um, well, he was at Bournemouth, and they beat. They won the first game, and obviously they're going to lose to what Arsenal, Liverpool, and City or something. I don't think Bowley is as ridiculous as that. Um, but we don't know, and that is the problem. Um, so we will have to find out. Time will tell. I mean, I'm sure some rumors will come out, and you sort of know when these rumors come out, something is going on but in the background. The, the question is, where do you stand on Tuchel right now? Not about what happens, but where do you stand? Yeah, where do I stand? I stand that. Look, if you, I think if you have Reese today, he probably wins the game, and we're not having this conversation, which is a massive issue, to be honest. That we are so dependent on a twenty-two-year-old, a twenty-three-year-old, and he's that important. But that is the reality. So in that sense. I don't know. I look if you if you if you offered me Graham Potter, I'm saying get rid of Tuchel right now. But I don't think Potter is available, and I'm not fully against Tuchel. I think I think he's done an okay job so far, and I feel like a lot of the a lot of the reasons for sacking him are because we're like okay, Lampard got sacked for the same things, um, whereas we are trying to build this sort of project, at least what it looks like with everything under Bowley so far. So. I guess the best we can do whilst there is not really anyone available is just keep on backing him and keep on going and seeing, you know, we've got two days left of the transfer window or something. I mean, I mean, okay, yeah, I'll ask you this. Do you do you get what Tuchel wants now? So do you give him a Bamyang and say, go on then, see, let's see what you can do or do you now, or do you stick with the Bamyang signing? It's really stupid. Let's not do that. I've never understood what his plan is. I mean, as far as his initial signing, Sterling made sense. Uh, Kulabali made sense. Pukurea, um, I guess it makes sense now, but back then, I when before his name was even brought up, I didn't think it made sense much to, well, sign a backup left back, backup wing back, but not one who would probably compete. And I guess in that sense, hindsight, looking back at it, it makes sense now because Pukurea is obviously a very good option and he's going to keep Chile on his to- to- toes. Uh, but it's still interesting because it's still... The signings, uh, we've our, our targets have been Guardiol, um, De Ligt, um, Aubameyang, Z- now Zaha, and it's just, yeah, Aubameyang is, I don't know what sort of version of Aubameyang we're getting, but it just it doesn't make sense to me. It never made sense to me, his signings, and that's what, that's a big issue with the whole, that's why we've sort of come into this argument with the director of football and what is Tuchel's future, because the decisions making, uh, the decision making so far from him has been like pretty poor, and I I've never seen a vision. I've just sort of like trusted him to know what's best. But now it's we're at a stage where I'm, uh, there are more questions than answers, and that's why I'm sort of 
I'm, I've lost my patience because it's, what is a Batman going to do? Zaha, on the other hand, I can see the appeal to that. But it, it, the, if your transfer strategy is like sort of a rebuild from the previous regime, it doesn't make sense sort of with the age category we're looking at. Um, for me, it's very confusing. It's because it was, we're stuck. He's stuck in two minds, or at least the club is stuck in two minds between helping him, but also reinforcing with young players. And that's sort of reinforced by signing us of Chuck, Cassidy, and um, Slonina, et cetera, et cetera. But it's just, we're also signing players to win now, to A2 shell now, his targets. And that doesn't make sense to me because a lot of his targets are, I don't know how good his judgment, well, no, I know how that his judgment is just like, it just doesn't make sense to me personally. And I think that that's the most confusing part. The Aubameyang signing in particular makes no sense to me at all. Because he was not good at, at his final few final few months at Arsenal, he's not been as good as Barcelona would have liked him to be. Um, it's just like what what version of him are we getting? And even if he is at his best, which is a long shot, does he solve the problems today? And you've already mentioned that the answer is no. So what are we doing here? Exactly. But then you also have to ask the question, is there if you, is there anyone in the world who, if we just signed one player, would solve the problems? And I think the answer is no. Um, so I feel like there are so many issues. I, feel, I do feel like, okay, a, like a midfielder massively helps. But, like, I mean, yeah, you mentioned Neymar. I mean, we were linked to them. <laughs> well, linked. I say linked. The secret scout mentioned that we wanted him or Zaha, which I found hilarious. But... I mean, even if you bring in Neymar, like, I mean, I don't know. Is he actually going to do well in this system? I don't know. You actually can't tell. Sterling is a player who, I mean, to be fair, he's got, what, three goals and an assist so far in five games, which in this, the way we're playing is very, very impressive. Um, And, I mean, I'm sure Neymar would be able to replicate similar numbers and actually go to the level we all know he can. But, like... I don't know. It's 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 really it's really difficult to tell where we're going. Um, but yeah, that that's really the reality, and I think that's most of what we're going to discuss. We are going to end up with a little discussion on the West Ham game. Um, we've got West Ham on Saturday at three p.m. I think after the whole issue with not really knowing when it was. So I think that got confirmed. Um, I think that's a massive, massive headache for Tuchel in who on earth do you start? Because first of all, he doesn't even know who's going to be in the squad by then. I wouldn't be surprised if about six players have gone off by then. Um, but assuming the players who are set to leave are going to leave and the players who are set to remain are going to remain, what are you thinking lineup-wise? Because, I don't know, it's a bit difficult. And I, and I, let's say let's say Reese and Trev are back. Uh, last time you were, I was here... I took like a very pragmatic approach to what I sort of was expecting for the lineup on Spurs or what I would want. Uh, this time I'm going to take the Dan route and I'm just going to say, uh, obviously, let's, let's go mending goal again. It's going to be Reese um, on one side, Kuchirela on the other side, and then it's going to be Fafana, Kulibali, and it's going to be in, in midfield, Gilmore, Mount, and Chokwameka. And then our front three is... Uh, I would like to see Broya, Sterling, and Harvey. Sure, why not? Yeah, there you go. That's what I want to see for West Ham. I would love to see that lineup. I mean, honestly, the way the players ran today, I mean, you can't really complain at that lineup. Um, I mean, what do we have to lose? We've, we've scored seven. Uh, we've had seven points in five games. I mean, at this point, you might as well see what, what, what's going to be like. Yeah, I mean, honestly, you. You make a very good point. Like we're at the stage where, like, I don't know. Let's just see what players can do. Um, that is assuming Harvey and the, a few others are even here on Saturday. Um, but I mean, yeah, you went for that approach. I'll go for a slightly more realistic approach in the fact that I think we'll stick with the four-four-two. Um, I think it'll be Reese, Fafana, Sil. Oh, uh, will Fafana? Yeah. Uh, if Fafana's flown back, then I assume he'll be back. He'll be training tomorrow. He's going to be unveiled as a player on Wednesday tomorrow. Um, so yeah, you know what? I'll go Fafana, 
Ooh, who's going to start next? And Silva or Koulibaly? I mean, I would start Silva. I think Koulibaly, we didn't really mention him. He was, don't think it was that good today. I think it was, you know, he wasn't really winning those those 1v1 battles. I think it was better in the second half when he moved into a five. But other than that, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't think... Uh, no, I'd, I'd start for Fon and Silva unless Silva needs a rest. I, I would personally start Chile at left back, but Cucurello, I assume, will be there. I'd go in midfield three personally of... Oh, God, this is a problem, isn't it? Kovacic. This is a massive, massive issue. I mean, oh, my God. Because you've got, realistically, the options in in midfield three, let's say, is Gallagher, Kovacic, Jorginho, and Mason. Um, And I'm assuming Ruben's not fit. Kante won't be fit. Ampadu will be gone by then. I mean, Chukwemeka, I'd love, I'd absolutely, I actually think he would suit a game like this, um, but he's not starting. So, okay, let's go 4 4 2, two midfield. I'm guessing will be Kovacic and Jorginho. Um, your two wide players, me personally, I would really like to see Gallagher on, as one of these wide players um, and Sterling, and I would start Kai and Bro, you're up top. Um, I wouldn't mind if Mason was in for one of the attackers. I don't really care who starts between Havertz or Mason. Um, Did you say you'd start Kai up top? Yeah, I'd do Kai and Broder up top in the front okay. two. But it's just, but it's just. I'm like, not saying anything. Yeah, no. Yeah, but it's just like okay, if he's on the bench, I don't care. If he's starting, I don't care. Like, it's just that's the sort of stage I'm at. Um, I don't, I don't know. The thing is with Mason is like I, it's really difficult for me to tell because I'm so biased towards him in general. I think the general consensus is that he has been really poor this season at the start. But I mean, I don't know. It, it's it's really hard to tell for me. Um, I obviously would love to see him start and keep on playing because he keeps on going and he's Chelsea and all that. But but yeah. Um, any thoughts on the game? Any final thoughts before I get a score prediction of some sort somehow? On the West Ham game. I think it's gonna be a a one-one draw. But that's yeah. Just we're gonna be pessimistic because optimism hasn't got us anywhere. <laughs> Said we were gonna win three-one before the lead came and we lost three notes. So, uh, yeah. 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 Well, it's interesting. The the two games we've won have been one against Everton and then one game where Tuchel hasn't been on the sideline. So maybe that's you know something interesting. Um. But I'll go. I'll be optimistic and say a two-one win. But realistically, we could very much lose four 0 um, and a Declan Rice quadruple or something like that. But um, I'll go with two-one. I'll go with a Rice penalty, um, and I'll go with uh, I'll go with an own goal and fucking Jorginho penalty. I'll do that as well. Um, two penalties, an own goal, scrappy, crappy game. Um, realistically, I can also see us losing four now, as I said. Um, but yeah, um, yeah, I, I think that's pretty much the end of the pod. There's a 21s game tomorrow, which I'll be going to. I'm sure the football will be miles better, and I won't be this depressed. Um, but I should also mention that we tweeted out saying that Xavier Simons was set well AFC Wimbledon were pushing really hard for him um, we also got told today that there is a chance he does join a club in a higher division and that AFC Wimbledon move hasn't been completed yet so do keep an eye on that there is so much transfers to be done um, both academy and first team and I'm sure the women's as well um, but in the next sort of two three days it's going to be really busy and on terms of the academy you've got Harvey Vale, Charlie Webster, Jude up Bell all with one year remaining on their contract Um Got the likes of Xavier Simons, Umboyamba, potentially Dylan Williams, um, who will be heading out. And I haven't even got onto the first team where you've got a lot of deals to finalise, such as, you know, Ampadu, Bakayoko, terminating contract, Baba Rahman's going to go on loan to Reading, some stuff like that. And then you've got situations to sort out. Pulisic, Ziek, Broya, if Abamian comes in, um, and incomings. I suspect there'll be Fafana plus one or two more. Um, so really busy days. If I can get a transfer window prediction, just a first team one. Who do you think? Who, which like first teamers do you think will leave um, 
I don't count Ampadu because he is set to leave. Which first minutes do you think will leave and which first teams do you think will come in? Uh, this is hard. I think... I only think either one of Pulisic or Ziyech is going to be gone. I think we're going to find someone in the last moment. I think more likely Pulisic than Ziyech. But we'll see. Apart from that, uh, I think Gilmore is in talks with Brighton right now. Um, a loan is not possible, but a permanent move would be possible. And at this point, he's not signing a new contract. I think he wants to leave. We're not. We probably cannot do much more to keep him here. So he's definitely going to leave, which is unfortunate because I would have loved for him to succeed at Chelsea. But it is what it is. Apart from that, I don't really have. I don't. I'm not many names come to my mind, which is unfortunate. Uh, shout out Ross Barkley. Um, finally left. Great player. Shame it never happened at Chelsea, but just shout out. Uh, that's it as far as outgoings. Incomings, I'd say between Obama or Zaha. I'll be optimistic on that side, and I'd say Zaha is coming because I'd prefer if Zaha is coming. I could be more optimistic and say Neymar, but I'm not going to do it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, it's just going to be Zaha, and that's our uh, end of the window for Fana and Zaha. Maybe we might make like a late swoop for a midfielder on deadline day, but I don't think that's going to happen. That's that. Yeah, I mean, I'm. I had a dream last night where we made a 90 million bid for Declan Rice in the last two hours of the transfer window. Um, and to be honest, I, I, it's the sort of Chelsea thing I can see happening, but it also definitely won't. Um, I, I'm pretty similar. I, I think outgoings. Um, yeah, Gilmore. I think I can see him leaving. Um, Brighton are pushing for him. Obviously, they can't get him on loan because of Levi. Um, so it could be a permanent move. Um, Ampadu's set to leave on loan with an option to buy. I would really like to see Chukwumek get a Premier League loan, to be honest, or even a Championship one. But I don't know. I can see him playing a lot of 21s football, unfortunately, this season. Um, incomings is really, really difficult. Um, I think we will end up with a Bamyang, unfortunately. And well, I say that because there was a meeting today where nothing got finalized. However, Fabrizio said another new meeting got scheduled for tomorrow. And I don't think you schedule another meeting with one day to go if there's not something close or there's hope that it can happen. Um so I think a Bamyang will happen and I do not think we will get a midfielder. Um in the academy wise I think I think Webster will stay and we will try and convince him to sign a deal in the next 12 months Jude I suspect very much wants to leave but I don't know what's happening with him to be honest and the big one is Harvey where again I don't really have a clue he had a he had a club interest, very interested in him but he, that was on loan but he wasn't willing to sign the contract extension so obviously it didn't happen from Chelsea's perspective um and we'll see. The, I think tomorrow, starting game in the squad-wise, I imagine Harvey's going to come back from Southampton and get minutes then, even Carney. Um, and we would just have to see, and we just got to pray we keep on to these guys somehow. Um, but Any yeah. news on Omari? Omari, that is a great point. I mean, a Reading loan was very much set up, and then financial issues. I, I read an interview last week of him with the fifth stand and it very much sounded like he could be staying just with the wording and the way he was saying and I was saying it was a, it was a great start to the season he can't wait to work under Robbo and stuff like that um, in that sense I think he could stay which I don't think is the end of the world because it's sort of a new environment and he will be learning a lot under a, new, a very good manager in Robinson but I mean he's good enough for the championship and I think he would have been done well on loan um, so in that sense yeah maybe a bit disappointing in that but yeah, I mean, I think that's a great place to wrap up the podcast. Um, any final thoughts? But thank you very much for coming on. Uh, yeah, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be on again. It's a shame that every time I come on, it's a, usually after like an awful circumstance. But, you know, it's still, it's still great to record episodes. Uh, final thoughts about the season. I actually have just one question for you. You could probably end it off with this. Oh, God, right. 
so a lot of talk has been made about how this season sort of not sort of very much resembles the uh, 2015-16 one under Jose and Kasilink where we finished 10th. Yeah. Uh, you think there are similarities there? You think that's how the season is going to end up? I think the season has started very very similar. Um but I th- I think our quality of our squad is a bit too good and I think generally the dressing room in general is behind Tuchel. Um I think if Reese isn't out for too long, if Trev isn't out for too long, we'll be all right and we'll win on the weekend and things will somewhat get back to normal and we'll probably finish fourth this season or third. Um, what about you? It depends on fitness, uh, but I do think I can see cracks as far as the squad's uh, relationship with him goes. So I can easily also see it faltering and us falling into that gray space of sixth, fifth. Um, which is sad because I feel like as far as the top six goes, the as far as what we've seen so far, the only teams that we're better than is United. Uh, you could make an argument for Spurs, but Spurs clearly seem to have a knack for getting results even after performing awfully. So that's something that's going to help them with the positions go. So I really hope we don't finish 10th or even like lower than 4th. But if it does, I wouldn't be surprised. I think that's a very fair perspective and I think well we'll see I think we'll get a very clear view in the next two days after the transfer window um, so we'll, I'm sure we'll do a podcast episode after that discussing the whole window season prediction stuff like that um, but yeah I think that's the end of the podcast thank you very much for listening um, you know where to find us the Chelsea Spot.com the Chelsea Spot is our handles on Twitter and Instagram um, this podcast is available on all listening platforms Spotify, iTunes, Amazon Music Google, do give us a review um, a 5 star and also a comment share it with your friends, it really helps us grow Um, but yeah, thank you very much for coming on again thank you very much for listening and we'll catch you next time